Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Native Radio. This week on our panel, we have Josh Justice. Hey, everyone. Good to be here. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week, we have a special guest, and that's Eric Lewis. Eric, do you want to say hello and introduce yourself real quick? Hi, I'm Eric Lewis. It's nice being here. Nice being on the podcast. Um, I am an engineer at Nearform, working on React, React Native, and Native iOS development. Infinite Red is a US-based consultancy specializing in React and React Native. They do mobile app and web design and development. They are deeply involved in the React and React Native open source communities, publish the React Native newsletter with 10,000 subscribers, and are involved with the React Native core development. If you have a project and need design or engineering help from an experienced team to take it all the way from concept to completion, get in touch with Infinite Red. Also check out Chain React, the React Native conference, which is hosted by Infinite Red in July in Portland with 500 developers from all around the world. You can find them at infinite.red. Make sure to mention you heard about them in this ad. Cool. React, React Native, and Native iOS. So you're doing Swift and JavaScript. Yeah, mostly Swift right now. Oh, cool. Well, we have another show for that, so. Speaking of that crossover technology, Eric, you mentioned that you have sort of an accidental journey that you went on to turn into an iOS developer going through Sentra Touch and other things. So yeah, give us a little bit of your background and, and where you've been in your career. Oh, I, yeah, I, so I, I, did, I had a Sentia project once upon a time. And yeah, every time I'm, it's mentioned, I still shudder a little bit. I'm so <laughs> glad. my favorite framework. Actually, I remember, I'm so glad that people actually remember what that is. Um, yeah, so like I, I, I began as a web developer, as many people do, uh, doing PHP, HTML, CSS, you know, the, the trifecta. Um, and then in about 2010, 2011, uh, I started working on mobile projects and mobile web first. And back in the day, you could choose to build things natively. I don't think Android was really up to par back then. So we ended up choosing web frameworks. And I think back then you had two selections, which was Essential Touch. And then there was also like uh, jQuery mobile. And um, I mostly used Essential Touch which was a really cool framework back then. Um, you had like things like virtualized lists and uh, the ability to create car- like cross-platform experiences. Um, so basically, and I don't know if anybody actually has ever used such a touch here, but if you kind of look at the code, it really reminds me of the way that like create React class worked uh, back in the day. It was very similar, kind of all JavaScript framework for building um, mobile UI and mobile experiences. After... So I did that for a couple of years and then was working for a company called Boxty. And we had this thing called 20% time, very familiar from Google. And we started working on something called Flip Tape. And the, the idea of Flip Tape was being able to like listen with your friends live on Spotify. Um, and I think back then you could build Spotify JS apps like inside the Spotify desktop app. And we quickly realized that like, <laughs> there's like a 10 minute limit on how long the script could run. So like it would publish what you were listening to while you're listening to it. And then like after 10 minutes, it would just die. Um, so we were like, well, how do we fix this? And um, I was looking around and I noticed that Spotify had like an SDK for iOS and Objective-C. And um, it was like, well, you know, we could just build a mobile app. People tend to listen to music on the go anyways. So we started like creating this broadcasting app in Objective-C with the Spotify SDK. And, um, and it, it very rapidly grew into like a full on application. So basically I learned how to do iOS just because I had this one purpose of <laughs> needing to be able to broadcast music from the Spotify SDK. <laughs> and, um, it actually became pretty popular. We got invited to Spotify's offices. They wanted to talk to us about how it worked. And you probably noticed there's like a feature in Spotify where you can like see what your friends are listening to. <laughs> And they kind of they kind of jacked that from us, as well as a few UI and UX details, like the way that you can see the album views with all the covers at the top and things like that. Um, it was a pretty cool project, but that's kind of how I got into into native iOS development. And it was it was something that kind of changed the, the way that I thought about programming in general too. So I really enjoyed doing iOS development, but there was that pain point of you know, I had such a touch where I could always like iterate rapidly. And ever since we worked on that project, I've been searching, I had been searching for a way to 
do that rapid UX and UI iteration that you want. Like waiting for builds is terrible. <laughs> yep. Um, so, you know, I've, I've touched them all. I've touched Xamarin. I've looked at PhoneGap, you know, I've, I've used almost everything. And uh, just that same repetitive pattern, I guess, uh, all the way through my career. So I spent five years at Chime after flip tape, Chime.com. Um, and we had that same, we had that same sort of, um, that same sort of issue with the rapid UI and UX iteration, Kristen UI and UX. And I'm like a pixel pusher and I'm really specific about it being like completely perfect. Um, we tried so many different things at Chime, uh, even around whenever Swift first came out, there was this injection framework you could use where you could like live update views and things like that. It was pretty cool. Um, and then I think in like 2015 is when React Native was announced and I started watching it and I was like, okay, I've seen a lot of these frameworks before. And um, yeah, I really started watching it in 2015. And then I think a little bit later, Android came out and then we started taking it seriously. And um, I actually rewrote the Chime application in React Native and fell completely in love. So Nice. So what were the trade-offs then that made you want to switch from, you know, Sentia Touch to Native to React Native? With Cincha Touch, um, we used that for a project. I used it for a project for like a year and a half, and it was it was pretty good. But like I said, whenever I was working, whenever I, I eventually switched to doing pure native development, it was um, strictly because of the Spotify SDK. So back then, there was no like interaction with native APIs. Uh, at least on the web, you couldn't you couldn't use a Spotify SDK on the web back then. So. Uh, it was just out of necessity, you know, the only way we could interact with the Spotify API in like a meaningful way was through their desktop app, which, you know, was terrible and would die every 10 minutes, or we build our own uh, native application. And um, that quickly like ballooned a little bit out of control uh, <laughs> because it started as like, oh, we need to broadcast. So they let's show their playlist. But then it like very quickly evolved into like a complete and total replacement of the Spotify app because you need to be able to do all that stuff. <laughs> so you um, are a core contributor to React Native now, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did that, for me, that has always been like getting into, you know, contributing to a big open source project has been always been this big daunting thing. How did that happen with you? Was it, did you decide you were gonna dive in or was it kind of accidental as well? Yeah, I guess that's kind of a weird thing too. Um, so I've been using React Native, I guess, for probably about a year and a half after doing the chime project and um i thought i had like some free time so the company i was working for was spinning down and i had free time and i've always been big and open like big on open source i've been open sourcing projects since i've been making them um i'm just a huge fan of open source i couldn't exactly tell you why uh, <laughs> other than i i guess it's really cool to see people work together like that um, so I'm, I'm, I've, I've always kind of worked in open source. I have the mentality of like open a PR, not an issue. And it, it was the same with React Native. So I, I don't exactly remember what happened. Uh, I know from, I've, I've been looking, I, I very occasionally would look through the React Native repo and see like, Hey, did they fix the bugs that I have? Or, you know, what are open issues or what are easy to tackle things? I think that I had noticed that they were like merging PRs in faster. And um, I was like, okay, you know, this seems possible. People are doing little things here and there. Uh, so I started looking at like help wanted and good first issue things. And um, I think like the first thing that I worked on, I'll have to go look at my history. I think the first thing I worked on in, in fashion true to how I am, was like <laughs> I saw like help wanted and it was related to fabric stuff and I wasn't hundred percent sure what that was but I had saw that a number of people tried and they like couldn't figure it out and then I saw that Christoph from Software Mansion who's like they're they're awesome and React Native and I actually worked with them a little bit at Chime um, he he had taken an attempt at it at, at at putting fabric into open source. I still actually didn't even understand really what fabric was whenever I started working on that. Um, but I was like, okay, Christoph can do it. Like I, I got to take it the whole way through. They're obviously interested in merging this stuff in. So that's what I did. Like I took on this crazy hard project to kind of uh, make fabric buildable and open source through Cocoa Pods. Uh, and then it ballooned from there, you know, like 
it, it, it is a huge project, but I was like just super amazed by the leveling of engagement from people at Facebook and trying to get things merged in and fixed and everything like that. And I was just really impressed by how everybody was working on it together. So I started looking through to do's and I would search the code base for a to do and I would try and fix it. I would look through issues. Um, and then eventually like I just started coming up with my own problems. <laughs> so whenever I build like react native apps or if I'm working on react native with new technologies, I think a lot of people, or at least I do, they have like these pet projects where they can work on, you know, new technologies in like a safe way. So in my case, um, I have this, I think that like Vincent Ramirez is his name. He's got like Charmkit, which is like a Reddit clone. And I think that's kind of his little, how he plays around with React stuff. And, um, and I have one too, and it's, it's called Quippy and it's based off of an app called Quid, which is like this really silly trading card game, action figure, buying and selling thing. Um, maybe we can link to it. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like this really silly game uh, and it, it annoyed me how bad the interface was. So I was like, okay, this will be my, my pet project to work on React Native stuff. So like I, I, I built out like all of this like GraphQL API based on their, their RESTful API using, and then build like this React Native app using Relay and, and just all sorts of like crazy technologies, including Fabric and everything else. I actually talked to um, one of the, the the co-founders of their, their company and like uh, showed him the code. And he was like, this is really cool. I was like, yeah, I don't know why they're not doing this. Um, anyways. <laughs> um, so I actually kind of forgot where I was going with that. Yeah, this is great stuff, though. I mean, I think it's encouraging <laughs> to folks that you can get. I mean, the, the question I had asked was how you got into contributing to React. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it's a so, good encouragement okay. for others, too. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, I was talking about like, I, I went from like fixing bugs and like enabling things in open source to like, actually, like, I think I did one of my first own like features, real features that I added to React Native. And, um, and it happened because this, this Quippy app, Quid, this Quid based app, there's like, they use tons and tons of GIFs. So like, you might have like a card set of 20 cards and they're all GIFs. Um, and if you tried to like put 20 GIFs on a page in React Native, it would like crash. So I, I refactored the entire GIF engine for iOS on, in React Native so that it could handle like hundreds of GIFs on a page. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's the important things, what matters. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like that was working in React Native. Is, it's been really encouraging and, and awesome that, that people are so helpful and cool about you know supporting really weird edge cases like this like i don't know how many people run into this problem but the interesting thing is like it got accepted and it got merged in so nobody will have that problem in the future um collective work like that is extremely interesting to me and i think is incredibly important so yeah nice tell us more about fabric this is this upcoming technology i don't know much about um what is it and what's the state of it right now so Fabric is what's taught me C++. Um, <laughs> uh, Valentin, I believe, is like leading up that effort and he's doing like a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Uh, Fabric is essentially a way for React Native to synchronously draw uh, components and elements on the screen. Uh, right now, whenever you have to, whenever you go to layout views and things like that, everything kind of flows through the bridge. So everything... I'm sure Ram has talked about this extensively. Um, <laughs> everything kind of starts in the JS side. It gets serialized and then passed through the bridge, deserialized, drawn, and then re-serialized, passed through the bridge. So all communication kind of happens in this three-step process. Um, the idea behind Fabric is to directly enable drawing capabilities to the JavaScript side itself. And this is, I don't want to confuse anything but it's a similar mentality to what turbo modules allows as well. Um, we can talk about that maybe a little bit later, but the whole idea is let's directly expose native functionality to JavaScript, which makes a huge improvement for performance as well as like, you know, with synchronous layout, you can do a number of other really interesting things too, like handle auto layout constraints or, 
be able to calculate your frame sizes and put things in places where you typically wouldn't be able to. I think one of the most popular examples is whenever you're, if you have like a table view and one of your table view cells is like perhaps a React Native view uh, in the traditional framework with the asynchronous method, you would see a small blip where it would like, it has to calculate the size and then it draws. Um, what happens now is it can calculate the size and draw at the same time. Um, that leads to huge performance improvements and just overall snappiness of the UI. Cause you know, that's what designers always say. It needs to be snappy, but that's what it does. It creates snappy UI. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting tool and in how it was built and everything else like that. Um, it's probably one of the cooler parts in, that I'm more familiar with, I guess, in the React Native code base. And shout out to Valentin for being like awesome about helping me with anything regarding that. Like there's no reason why he had to take time out of his day to explain to me how any of that stuff works, but he's, he's definitely done that and beyond. <laughs> That's great. So is Fabric something that would change anything about the way that I write React Native apps or is it all internal to what the framework does? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't change anything about how you write your apps. It is all internal. Um, I think like the plan is to make it as seamless as possible. So um, for now, I know like there, it's a, it's extremely hard to add custom native components. Like that part's not really there yet. So if you want to do that today, yeah, that would be kind of hard. But that's not that's not the intention going forward. As far as I know, the API should be pretty much the same. So all you really, I mean, you just benefit from like this beautiful synchronous layout stuff. Um, another good example where y'all. I know for a fact that people have experienced and you'll, everybody runs into this eventually um, is the table view problem where you scroll very quickly and where your cells, there's just these weird chunks where your cells are supposed to be. Uh, that's virtually non-existent in fabric. So if you really want to think about what fabric is, just think about it as like performant table views. <laughs> it all comes back to the table views when it comes to mobile. <laughs> About four years into my career, I got tired of going from job to job where I'd either get laid off from a job I liked or wind up quitting a job that I couldn't take anymore. And eventually, I wound up going freelance. I made a bunch of friends and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. The Freelancer Show has been running for about seven years now and features not necessarily the same people that we started the show with, but experts in running a business and people who are out there actually doing freelance work. You can check it out at thefreelancershow.com. How about turbo modules? What, what's that technology and what's the state of it? Um, so turbo modules is a really interesting one and there's some confusion. So there's actually kind of, I think I, I'm not going to add to this confusion too much, but there's like a version. They use this name for a couple of different things in Android react native. You can do something that I think are called turbo modules, but they're not, they're just like a way of changing the initialization of native modules today. Um, but actual turbo modules, so actual turbo modules, um, like I said, are kind of similar to the idea with fabric, which is like, let's expose the drawing commands to JavaScript with turbo modules. It's like, Hey, let's plug in any native methods at the JavaScript layer. Uh, so like a good way of thinking about it and a good way of thinking about it would be like, I, I don't know how familiar people are with web programming. Hopefully you are somewhat. If you've ever like done like a console log on the navigator uh, property in, in JavaScript in a browser uh, and looked at the output, it says like something like C++ function in Chrome or it says like native function in uh, JavaScript or in uh, Safari. And the whole idea behind this is like, and this is the same thing that happens whenever we were talking about uh, UI or layout earlier, which is like the synchronous, asynchronous flow. Um, it, it eliminates the bridge once again, <sighs> sorry, it eliminates the bridge once again, and you can synchronously plug in native methods directly to JavaScript. So you can just call them. So like if you're calling like navigator, getting current location and stuff like that, you're actually directly calling C++. Um, it's a very, very similar idea. It's just bringing native modules closer to the metal and removing that three-step process of communication. The interesting thing about turbo modules, it's, it's more ready than fabric. And we did like this really cool big push. So I, I don't know if you would consider this one of the things that you have to kind of do with turbo modules and fabric in general, and something that's being pushed quite a lot is actually code gen. So 
I've now mentioned all three things that everybody keeps talking about is like turbine modules, fabric, code gym. Um, they are all three different things. So that's an important thing to notice. Like they're not all the same thing. They're three different, completely different things, sort of. With the code gym stuff, you use code gym to generate all the bindings for turbo modules. So turbo modules in essence brings this C++ host object layer and instead of having to deal with the bridge. Um, so you have to write more code and that's the idea behind the, the code gym. You don't have to write as much code. The state of that today, like the, the interesting thing that we did with turbo modules recently was um, they, we had like this, I don't, I don't think it was supposed to be like a mini hackathon, but like basically we went through and we typed all of the native modules that are in react native itself. Um, because you using the typings, you can generate the bindings that are used by turbo modules in order to like plug things up together. Uh, so one of the Facebook employees and I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember which one posted up this issue saying like, here's all of these native modules. We need types for all of them. And I think we completed in less than 24 hours. And it was just like, let's do this. Like, let's go <laughs> and just posting on Twitter and, you know, counting down as we were getting them done. It was a lot of fun. And, and the idea behind that was they could start generating actual bindings to use for turbo modules in React Native Core so that we could eventually move everything over to turbo modules. And the idea behind that being everything should be faster. So far, it's, it's worked pretty well. I, I remember I was talking with um, Kevin uh, from Facebook. I think his last name is Ghazali. And we we also like from that effort, we also found like a number of really interesting bugs and problems with the code gen tools that they have on Facebook. So that was fun. <laughs> As for like whether or not you can use it and things like that, I guess you can today. I don't know. I know that I enabled it and as part of like the auto-linking stuff that was going on for Cocoa Pods, both fabric and that actually got included into those pools but I don't know if it's in a version right now. So um, if you do want to use any of this stuff, you like the easiest way to do it is like pull master and run your app off of master, which I think by the way, everybody should be doing that. Um, it's less scary than you would think. And there's, there tends to be less mistakes. So you're thinking on master that fabric and turbo modules are, are enabled that you don't need to hit a flag or anything like that to turn them on on master. No, sorry. Um, you do still have to like enable flags in your in the pod file for the auto linking stuff. You have to. I think there's like two little flags you set, like fabric enabled, turbo modules enabled. Um, you still have to enable them. Um, the only reason why I say use master is because if you were to use any of the releases, I don't believe that they include any of the source code for fabric or turbo modules. Which you know that's good. Got to keep it clean. So if you do want to use them, the only way you can actually have access to that code is if you're running straight off of master. Gotcha. Yeah. Are there any write-ups anywhere that kind of walk folks through like, hey, here's here's how you turn those flags on and here's what to look for when you do it, like a readme or anything? You know, I don't think so. I think that if you were to look at the pod file for RN tester, you might see that and it might say something like that, but no. And I think it's, it's fairly intentional. Um, I don't we don't necessarily encourage people actually use these things. Um, you can, they are actually used. They're used in, they're used by Facebook. Facebook definitely uses turbo modules. They've been doing it for a little while and Facebook definitely uses fabric. They use it for um, the marketplace tab in the Facebook app. That's all fabric. That's all react native. Um, it's being used in production. It's been used in production for quite a while now. Um, so it's like more like at your own risk. <laughs> and um, we, we still don't actually have like a completely baked idea of how it's going to necessarily be distributed either. So technically, that's why it's all in master because we you could you can technically cherry pick things in from fabric and turbo modules, but they're not ready. And we'd rather not really confuse people, which is like kind of the interesting problem when talking about this stuff, because everybody is like, they're really interested in it. <laughs> but then you have to be like, nah, but don't use it. <laughs> don't use it now. So I'll just send everybody to you on Twitter with all their fabric and turbo modules questions. That's what happens. Or you can send them to Valentin. Yeah. I'm sure he would appreciate it. I know you'd appreciate the help. So if you know any kind of amount of C plus plus, and even if you don't, like you can you can certainly help. I, I have I've learned quite a 
bit about C++ and I'm, and and at first I was a little like oh this is this is okay and then now I'm kind of like I feel like I'm going over the dark side I'm like this is awesome <laughs> I'm like a fan of C++ I never thought I would say that <laughs> so you said there's not really a plan at this point of like what release that Facebook expects fabric internal modules to be like ready and finalized that's still up in the air uh the fabric side of things I believe is like uh, it was originally slated for 2020 and i think i mean i don't i don't work at facebook but <laughs> uh the turbo the turbo module stuff i believe was supposed to be ready kind of towards the end of this year so i'm not entirely sure where we're at with that stuff you're better off asking like kevin or valentin kevin Fagazali, uh, i think hopefully i'm saying your name right kevin i'm sorry uh, <laughs> uh kevin is he kind of works a lot on the turbo module end of things for ios at least and then uh, Valentin leads up the efforts for Fabric. And as far as I know, it's been a little while because I've been doing this uh, consultancy work as of late. It's been a little while since I've been necessarily plugged into that. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, it's still it's still being quite heavily dogfooded at Facebook. I know lately you've been playing with Swift UI. That has still fit in your schedule lately, right? How, how did you get into that and, and how's that experimentation been going? Well, I mean, like with Swift UI, it just comes from like the same thing that I've always been looking for, uh, rapid UI UX iteration. Um, I'm impartial to necessarily how I write the app, so long as I can do it quickly. But yeah, whenever they, they first announced it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is awesome. I'm excited. Uh, I'm a huge sucker for like autocomplete. So anytime you have like a strongly typed language, you get like beautiful autocomplete. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have to work very hard. Um, I, I love autocomplete. That's like the only reason why I use TypeScript too. I don't actually care about anything else other than the fact that I don't have to type very much. Um, <laughs> so, so I started playing with SwiftUI because that's what iOS developers do. You get WWDC and it's like our Christmas. It literally is. I, I don't, this is better than Christmas. Um, <laughs> and uh, the day it came out, I started playing with it and thought it was pretty interesting. A great way to do like the rapid UI iteration. And like, like I was saying earlier with anything, you have like your pet projects and you come up with a way to like find a, find a way to explore all the different pieces as much as you can. And the way that I did that was originally, um, I didn't really feel like bothering. I don't know actually how this happened because most of the apps that I've ever made are like network enabled. Uh, but for some reason, whenever I was working with SwiftUI, it never crossed my mind to even look at anything network related. So. So I like I originally started like what can I do locally and uh, my first idea because I had been looking at a few apps in this in this regard my first idea was to build this like multi timer app and I did that because I also wanted to play with the other new stuff that they released so they also released like um, uh, CloudKit syncing with core data and it's all like automagical and amazing I was like cool you know like a good app would be like a multi timer app you know I like to cook so. Multiple timers is extremely helpful. Um, so I started building it and and I was like, wow, this is really complicated. <laughs> this is like way too complicated. Uh, it's pretty hard to deal with lots and lots of timers going on. And SwiftUI actually kind of has a little bit of a problem with that too. Um, so I still wanted to do like a timer idea because I was just like, I had already done so much timer stuff. I like probably rebuilt the timer app I was working on three or four times. Um, and I can provide screenshots if anybody's interested in seeing it, or you can just look at my Twitter. So I, I was like, wow, I can't run more than 20 timers at a time. This is impossible. Like SwiftUI really doesn't like this. You know, you're, you're iterating and updating the UI 20 times every 60th of a second. <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> so, um, I was, I, I was like still wanting to do something with timers. And um, I, I've always been interested in like sensor fusion and finding reasons to use the sensors in iPhones. I don't know, like, and there's actually one, like one sensor in specific that I was really interested in. So everybody does like accelerometers, they do like camera stuff, whatever. But I don't know anybody that like plays around with the barometer. And in my research of looking at timer applications, uh, I, I came across like egg timers. And I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's kind of silly, kind of easy. You've got like nice sliders. It's interactive. You can do fun stuff with the UI. And I was looking at egg timers. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And I started like Googling around like how to make a perfect egg. And there turns out to be like this formula by like this quantum physicist. <laughs> 
on how to make like the perfect egg. And, and part of that formula involves like calculating the boiling points of water. And I was like, oh man, I remember middle school science class. You can calculate the boiling points of water based on like the barometric pressure. So iPhones have barometers inside of them and you can actually get like the atmospheric pressure. I thought this was like really cool. So I took the algorithm that the formula that he had made, turned it into an algorithm. And I also fused in the altimeter uh, just because, you know, it's an egg timer. It has to be perfect, right? <laughs> so I fused in the altimeter and, and essentially like what started as kind of like a silly little way to play with sensors, play with timers. Um, it just got like more and more silly and I just started doing more and more stuff with it. And I was really impressed and it was a great, it was a great way to see like how you can use Swift UI to build for watch and for tvOS and for macOS and like all of these different platforms, which I thought was pretty cool. It was, but it was, it was so silly. Uh, like uh, I think somebody told me to make like a Nicolas Cage timer. So like one of the beauties of Swift UI was I could just swap out the egg with a picture of Nicolas Cage's face on an egg and it still worked. It all worked the same way. It would like count down and everything. It was awesome. That's going to be Dan Laborde, right? What's that? Dan Laborde is the big uh, Nicolas Cage guy or else he's created the meme and it's spread beyond him now. Yeah. I think it was Josh Joshua Gross from Facebook on the reality team. I think he said, you won't do Nick Cage, you coward. And of course you have to. So I did. Yes. <laughs> um, but like that, it was actually a really interesting way to learn about so many different things because it sounds really simple. Like it's an egg timer. What's it do? It does one thing. It's not that simple. It, it does so much more than that. And in, in using things like uh, Swift property wrappers, I learned all about property wrappers through it. Uh, it still uses core data and cloud syncing. So like if you're using time wrap on your phone and you go and pick up your iPad, it's all still the same. Um, it uses pretty much every piece of Swift UI you can kind of almost touch. Um, it's got like really in-depth settings and things like that too. So just about every piece of it is settable. Like anytime I'm like, anytime I ask myself a question, I just go and create a switch in settings and then I can go back and forth and say, Hey, which one do you like better? <laughs> so from like, um, from the UI, like rapid iteration perspective, like it's unbelievable. Swift UI is so good at iterating with the UI quickly. And at my, at my current gig, what I'm doing right now, um, I've been using Swift UI to communicate with the design team, like as a first class language, like, uh, that we, we'll look at comps and I'll, I'll bring it up in Swift UI and we can do really, really rapid like um, prototyping of different UI flows and things like that. We don't necessarily use the code, which is kind of disappointing. I mean, it's iOS 13 only. It's not released yet. We don't necessarily use that code, but like in an hour we can, we save ourselves like eight hours of just back and forth discussion almost you would think. So it's like been a really, really useful tool in that regard. But the funny thing is like, even though I've been building this like incredibly, what looks like an incredibly simple app, it's just an egg timer, right? <laughs> what looks incredibly simple. What I've found is like, there's so many sharp edges with Swift UI that actually shipping anything is something that I have a deep amount of concern with. I don't even really know where to start with that. Like there's so, there's so many things that just don't necessarily, nothing ever, nothing really works a hundred percent basically. With that said, I will, I'm going to do like the compliment sandwich. Like, so like a nice thing, a nice thing is you can do rapid UI iteration. A not so nice thing is it's got a lot of sharp edges. And then the other nice thing is you don't have to think. You lost the bread. I know. I'll ask a question and maybe it'll bring it to mind. Um, so for folks that haven't maybe been quite as cross-platform as you, maybe they've spent a lot more time in React Native, what are some things that might motivate them to check out Swift UI, either for playing around or for maybe moving towards production someday? It's a good way to learn Swift. I mean, a really weird version of Swift, I guess. Um, it's almost completely unfamiliar. <laughs> uh, that's probably been one of the things that I've, I've seen a lot of Swift engineers I do know talk about is like, this doesn't, this doesn't look like Swift. 
So what are some things that you could use for it that you might want to going forward? Uh, like one of the biggest things, I, I think one of the most important things that it can do today, and it's kind of like a sleeper and nobody really seems to talk about it, which is like you can build like amazing interactive experiences with the Apple Watch with it now. So I don't know how many people are familiar with building Apple Watch apps previously, but it's like not, it's not very fun. <laughs> you can't really do very much. It's all storyboards. Everything has to be pre-configured. There's no such thing as like dynamicism really in the UI. Um, so the biggest thing that I thought was like, wow, you can actually build fully interactive, fun uh, watch applications. And and the interesting thing is like whenever I was building, building Aggie using this, um, most of the watch code, actually almost all of it, I think it's something like 98% of the watch code with the exception of the navigation state is all the same code as what's used in the app itself. So like if you run it on the watch and you see that little egg and you know how like in the, the main iOS app, you can actually like drag it around and it jiggles and stuff. Um, you can do that on the watch too. <laughs> it just works. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I think like the, the biggest sleeper and I think combined with what they announced recently, which is the ability to have like completely standalone watch apps, that is probably to me, like going to be a super killer feature for Swift UI in the sense like it, because watch is already limited, there's not that many sharp edges. So it just works the way you would expect it to because you really didn't expect much in the first place. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I got to say, all the eight timer apps I've ever heard of, yours seems to have the best enterprise application architecture I've heard of. So good work on that. <laughs> Thank you. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i is linked up with experienced developers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about G2i. You could probably talk a little bit about like testing Swift UI too. I love testing. Let's do it. I've only just started doing this like yesterday. <laughs> uh, but like um, it's it's kind of an interesting learning how how Swift UI works. So I mean, if there's one thing, if there's any Apple employees listening to this, like please write more about how it works on the inside. That would be so helpful. Um, we get this from React and we get this from React Native. I can go look at React Native and I can be like, hey, cool. I know how this works. Um, you can't really do that with SwiftUI. It makes it a little bit more difficult uh, to understand what's going on under the hood. So yeah, so basically, like it would be really helpful to know know what's going on in the hood with SwiftUI. It probably make testing a little bit easier. But in my investigation of using it, um, what I've noticed is like all all the views and everything are based off of using structs and protocols. So the nice part is, and I don't know how many people are familiar with protocol oriented programming. Um, I've been doing like a lot of that, so can't really talk about what I'm doing, but where I work, we do everything in Swift, everything is protocol oriented and like everything is extremely well tested. Um, and, and based off a lot of my experience with working on that stuff lately, I've found that like with Swift UI, um, because of the model that it is, it's all dependency injection by default. And you can pretty much isolate, you can test things in isolation, kind of similar to what you would do with React native testing library or like just in a way, but not, not exactly the same. Uh, we're, we probably, what I'm really excited to see is like, hopefully we have like this, uh, this killer framework that comes up and kind of fixes and makes a lot of that stuff easier. But um, for the time being, like the testing story for Swift UI is like, it's not too bad. The biggest thing you kind of have to fight with is the types. But when it comes to actually testing, it's just calling methods and injecting dependencies and confirming that they're right. And it, it's, it's brilliant at that. It's really cool. Um, you can also do things like automated UI testing, which is fantastic. Oh, and I remember the other half of that compliment sandwich. <laughs> um, it's just a really big sandwich now. Uh, <laughs> uh, accessibility. Swift. So I, I, I've worked in iOS for a long time and people 
there's various levels of care when it comes to accessibility. Uh, I remember when I worked at Chime, one of my proud, one of the things I was very proud of was being able to like actually use the entire, <laughs> was being able to use the entire uh, application without having to look at it. Uh, I cared a lot about accessibility. And Swift UI, accessibility is like the default and it's just there and it's fantastic and it just works. And like you can do, like one of my favorite parts of Swift UI easily is that by default, anytime you type strings or you create like a text component, you put text in it, everything is a localized um, string key by default, which essentially means that anytime you add like a lo localization scheme, you can just write whatever you want in there and translate it. And I actually did this. I, I <laughs> for my original timer application, I went to, I don't remember the name of the service, but I went to a service and I had them translate the entire app. And I just dropped it into place and was like, wow, it's in Spanish now. It's awesome. Amazing. Um, so yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Nice. That's super important. And I think your point about testing as well, uh, it goes a long way to show just how that, you know, people have made, made a lot about a similar mental model between React and React Native and Swift UI and what you said there about testing, the isolation of those pieces and components, the fact that they're, you know, interchangeable, testable. It makes sense that for React developers that that would click a lot. You know, language is new, tooling is new, but some of that mental model really carries over. Yeah, yeah. And and again, when it comes to like the similarities between uh, Swift UI and React is like, they're extremely similar. You can do you can have render components, they call them containers in Swift UI, but you can have like render components, um, like really syntactically, it looks probably more similar to like Flutter. But other than that, it's, it's React as you know it, essentially. The binding thing is kind of weird, but two-way directional stuff instead of just top-down flow. I found that like when it comes to bindings, um, it would be useful to have some sort of an idea of that in React Native or React. <laughs> but I think they call that Redux. Yep. Cool. Well, um, this one was a little bit above my uh, depth. I was, <laughs> I'll admit I was a little bit lost on some of this stuff, but uh, I'm definitely going to be checking some of this stuff out. Um, Eric, if there's, do, do you have places you recommend for people to go and kind of learn a little bit more about some of these topics? Um, yeah, I guess like um, there's, there's hacking with Swift. They've done a pretty good write up of things. Um, I'm waiting on, so if you really want to learn about property wrappers, uh, Ennis Hipster is always a great resource. I'm waiting on his work for the Swift UI stuff. I know he's waiting for it to be stable like the rest of us. And maybe Swift by Sendell, I believe he's written a couple of things. Um, those are great places. Twitter is actually a pretty useful resource in this. Um, and GitHub, just search around. There's a there's quite a few like awesome Swift UI get gets and things like that. Um, uh, there's I don't remember his name, but there's uh, there's this fantastic movie application being built by somebody that has like um, it's like the whole whole nine yards of building a complex Swift UI application. It's pretty cool. I've open sourced a few things too. Um, I've open sourced a couple of components you can use, like progress views, blur views, uh, activity indicator views, um, as well as a, like a a to-do list application that uses core data and CloudKit and Swift UI. Um, I don't think I'm going to open source Eggy, but we'll see. <laughs> Is Eggy in the App Store? It, it's not yet. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be iOS 13 only. I'm not going to, it's only being built in Swift UI. It will be in the App Store though. I am going to ship it. That was the other important thing too. So like whenever I was working on the multi-time wrap, I decided to go simpler because I actually wanted to like, I wanted to ship something. So I found myself having to like downgrade my expectations over time, um, <laughs> which is not a fantastic thing to do. <laughs> but Eggie will be in the app store and we'll see if I'm allowed to use Nicholas Cage's face. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Josh, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Sure. Uh, the first pick I'll share, just because Eric was talking about contributing to React Native and how it's a more realistic thing than you might imagine, um, I wanted to plug the React Native community. So this is an organization of folks, uh, I guess probably Facebook is considered part of the community as well, but it's led by kind of all of us, by a collection of different folks. It includes, one, you know, one of their responsibilities is to handle the modules that have been extracted from the core of React Native. So there's kind of shared ownership. Um, so there's a bunch of open source packages there. 
And Lorenzo gave a great talk at Chain React, talking about React Native community and the role that it plays. And he had just so many great points about how it can prevent maintainer burnout, because it's not just one isolated person with a package that we're all depending on in our React Native apps. Um, if they burn out or need a break, um, then another maintainer can step in and they have kind of shared access to the repos to kind of support one another. So the React Native community is just a great place to plug in to see if there's ways that you can help, um, to see if you have a package that you'd like to help extract from the React Native core or can kind of join in as a co-contributor. So um, just if you're benefiting from React Native, check out React Native community and see how you can kind of play a part uh, to, to support all of us. Um, the other plug I'll do is for Render ATL, which is an upcoming React conference here in Atlanta, where me and Eric are. Um, so the, they're kicking it off. Um, it's a conference focused on uh, culture and inclusion. Uh, it's the first React-specific conference in Atlanta and I think possibly in the whole Southeast. And they have a great, uh, they already have the speakers lined up for May of 2020, amazingly. And there's just a bunch of influential folks in the React world, um, just a, a bunch of folks with great perspectives. So I'm definitely planning on going um, and seeing how I can help out. And uh, so if folks would like to join us here in Atlanta in May of 2020, uh, we'd love to have you. So those are my picks. I'll also be there. Very excited. Very cool. Awesome. Sounds like fun. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks. So um, lately, I've kind of updated the way that I've been uh, progressing with. I'm, I've gotten really big, I guess, on self-improvement, and um, which means that I don't read as many self-improvement books as I do just, you know, things about the things that I want to improve. Um, and so I just finished one called Atomic Habits. I think I've picked it on the show before because I've been reading it for the last few weeks. Um, I've been going through a system called 75 Hard. Um, I'm currently on day 29. Um, and basically, it's it's five things you do every day for 75 days. I think I've talked about it, the, that on the show as well. But uh, Atomic Habits was the book that I read first. Now I'm reading another one called Superfans by Pat Flynn. Um, Pat also has a podcast, incidentally, uh, called Smart Passive Income. And uh, anyway, he's he's somebody that I've kind of been following for a while. I was actually aware of who he was before he got podcast famous, I guess. Because I listened to another podcast um, that he submitted a, a video to. And then, yeah, he kind of grew from there. But anyway, um, it talks about how to build an audience of people who really deeply care about what you're doing. And I uh, really, really enjoyed that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick that. And then um, the other thing that I've been doing is I've been listening to... So I go back and forth between audiobooks and, um, and podcasts. And there are a few podcasts that I listen to about every day. Uh, you know, some are political, some of them are more educa or educational, and some of them are just for fun. And then on, so so yeah, so I've been listening to the Adventure Zone, which is a podcast. Uh, it's a live playthrough of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, I've really been enjoying that. I, I play D and D with a few of my friends um, who actually are on some of the other shows on DevChat.tv, but. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying that. And then when I flip over to the other side, um, I'll open up Audible and I'll listen to a book. So I've been listening to the backlog of The Adventure Zone. So I listen to a story arc there. And then I go back over to um, Audible and I'll listen to a book. And uh, the book that I've been listening to lately is Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And um, it, it's basically a focused book about... Um, marriage and the idea is is essentially how can we could become um, better marital partners and also how can we become better people through marriage and so it talks a little bit about both and so I've gotten a lot of ideas there as far as um, how I think about marriage and things like that I've been married for uh, 14 and a half years so um, anyway it's just interesting and you know since I have a Christian background you know a lot of the things he's talking to me about uh, directly tie into my worldview. And so uh, between the two, it's been very, very helpful to just listen through. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, handful of books there. Um, Eric, do you have some picks for us? I do. I have more books. Everybody should read. I love books, man. <laughs> it's the best. I was like, hmm, I almost recommended just like two books. It's like, oh, the whole podcast should just be books. Yeah. I usually listen to two or three on Audible and then I'll pick one that I think will have a deep impact and I'll actually read that one. Usually it's on my Kindle app. Um, super fans though, I actually have a physical copy. And the reason is, is because I went to Pat's launch party at podcast movement and got a signed copy. So nice. 
Um, yeah, so my my picks are I have like one book here, so the or one book series, The Three Body Problem by Lou. I'm gonna try and say it, Lou Chiching, Chiching, I think is how you say it. Um, Three Body Problem, or as its other the other way it's known as um, uh, Remembrance of Earth's Past, and it's a hard science fiction series about humanity coming in contact with aliens and what happens from that. It's really really cool. It's a fun read, um, and there's there's just way too many parallels with society. So everybody should read that if you want to know what your future is going to be like. Um, <laughs> my other pick is the Swift PM Library by Dave Verwer. So I was recently talking on Twitter that oh man, we need some sort of a like Coco controls thing for Swift package manager, and like you know, in and in typical Twitter fashion, I was complaining and. Dave Brewer shows up and he's like, oh, I built that and I'm launching it tomorrow. So there's <laughs> <Nice>. that. <laughs> there's that. Uh, basically, you can go through and you can search for different Swift package manager libraries and use them in your applications. It's super helpful. Um, SPM's the future. Get away from Cocoa Pods. Sorry, Orta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are my picks. Um, I guess if you wanted like a local pick, we went to the... Uh, animal wild safari thing here in georgia where you can drive through and see giraffes and and like antelopes and it's crazy so if you live in georgia there's a there's a drive-through safari thing you can do it's nuts (laughs) cool and that's all all right um and as far as uh finding what you're working on these days are you on social media somewhere or have a blog or yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, Eric Lewis, first last name. I'm also on GitHub, Eric Lewis, first last name. Um, I tweet a lot. I haven't been able to do as much open source recently uh, with the, the consultation gigs I've got going on, but that should be changing soon enough. And I will be back to doing a bunch of awesome React Native open source stuff. We have some cool ideas. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Eric. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.